Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Today, we are joined by Maria Springer, who is the founder and CEO of the Capital Department. Really interesting company that I'm excited to share with you. You know, one of the biggest and most exciting things about the Jobs Act is this idea that anyone can invest in any company. Um, but how do you actually get through all of the noise and all of the things going on in someone's daily day and actually get them to want to invest? That is where Maria and her team hop in and help you figure out how to navigate these challenging waters of actually getting people all over the map to actually invest in your company. I'll let her tell you more about that. So let's hop in. Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. So Maria, let's start with just a little bit about your background, your experience, and how did you come to found this company? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, I began my entrepreneurial journey in my early 20s, uh, where I co-founded a social venture called Livelihoods. Um, As a young entrepreneur, I was tasked with fundraising. Nobody tells you when you start a company that you'll actually have to become really good at fundraising. And I was overwhelmed at it. I was bad at it. I literally used to Google how to overcome the fear of fundraising. And there just wasn't much out there. Um, Ultimately, though, you know, we were helping employ young people from informal settlements um, to distribute clean energy technology. And I thought, you know what, I can get over my fear of fundraising. And I ended up getting okay at it. Uh, We ended up closing capital from Rockefeller Foundation and raising millions. Um, And I'm really proud to say that that organization, um, thanks to the incredible work of my co-founder, Tanya Layden, was actually acquired by another uh, nonprofit last year. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think ultimately what I learned is that like fundraising is a learnable skill. Not everyone comes from families where they just have access to capital. And in fact, oftentimes diverse founders are overlooked, right? So we see that in the venture capital space where less than 3% of women get access to venture funding. And it's even worse for founders of color Right. And I know you know this, Chris, but black founders raise less than one percent of all venture capital that's deployed every year. Yeah, no, it's a travesty. And the entire industry, from my perspective, should probably be ashamed uh, of themselves. And there is a lot, a lot of work to be done. But perhaps there is a way to circumnavigate that world and build a new foundation, uh, a new way of raising capital that could be better, more equitable uh, and fix a lot of the wrongs uh, that venture capitalists have deployed over the last 20. Yeah. So with that in mind, talk about your company, because it's probably not something that is consumer facing and people realize is there. But no. in this world where you can raise from the broader public, uh, getting your message out there, connecting with people and getting them to take action is still exceedingly hard. So yeah. let's talk about some of the things that your company does to help founders actually navigate those waters. Yeah, absolutely. So Capital Department uh, is on a mission to create access to capital for all. Uh, To date, we're proud to have raised over $110 million for our clients. And also, we advise clients from across the U.S., Europe, and Sub-Saharan Africa as well. So 
ultimately what we're doing is we're giving founders a fractional fundraising team. We basically put a, uh, a deal team together for their deal and make sure they have everything they need to succeed. Um, and so we'll work on community rounds, so raising capital from retail investors. We'll also work on venture rounds, um, so anything from uh, seed to series A to series B and series C. And we're also relatively sector agnostic, though we tend to work mostly in the technology space. Um, so we've raised for companies in AI, robotics, uh, real estate, direct-to-consumer brands, et cetera. Very cool. And let's talk about like understanding some of those mechanics of how you actually work. Um, so you're right, a lot of founders, they start off and they might not have a network. They might not know how to actually monetize their, 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 their user base, right? And get them to actually invest in their company. Um, so what is it that you're actually doing to help these founders be able to raise money? First and foremost, we believe fundraising is a sales process. And so Ooh. we apply all the sales philosophies to this process. And so when we begin with a founder, we really focus on like what they're selling and then who they're selling it to, and then at what price and how to sell it, right? Um, so it's a complete positioning exercise. Um, and so the, the every deal team that we have, we have you know a marketing, a sales, and an operations lead. Um, so on the marketing side, we really focus on the narrative. Narrative is overlooked like you couldn't believe, right? So I don't care how wonderful your company is. If you don't have a strong narrative, it's not going to raise capital. And on the flip side, you can have a pretty mediocre company, but a fascinating narrative and be really successful at raising. Uh, so narrative is something we look at. And we look at it not just in terms of the overall story, in terms of sources and uses of funds, but also at the different points in the raise, right? So what is the narrative when you have $0 committed? What is the narrative when you're 80% subscribed in the round, right? And so there's actually a lot of sort of like uh, sales dynamics that you can apply in fundraising or selling your round. Um, that we do uh, work with our clients on. Um, and then on the sales side, we absolutely treat it like any other sales process. We look at our pipeline. We actually develop pipeline stages. We look at how we can grow top of funnel and then increase conversion all the way to bottom of funnel um, and ensure that our founders have adequate pipeline coverage, basically, uh, to ensure that they can raise successfully. And that's most important. It's like, you know, when a founder tells me, oh, I got a no today, that was so depressing. <laughs> um, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because it means we're getting people through the pipeline, right? Um, and so that's a big one is just the sales piece altogether. And, you know, if you don't have a network, how are we sourcing those leads? Um, what is our strategy, uh, whether it's social um, or, or whether it's like even cold outbound, right, which is completely overlooked in this world of fundraising. And people think you have to know people to get money. And it's just not true. We've had, we've had founders raise capital from some of the most storied venture capitalists through cold emails. And then on the operation side, right, that's really all about strategy and holding founders accountable and calls to action. And uh, that's, that's also the really fun bit because uh, I think CEOs have a big job. <laughs> they don't have a lot of time. Uh, and we are here to sort of whip them into shape and hold them accountable. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so diving in on that, you know, one thing that I think uh, you'll often hear is that founders are the best ones to sell their story and to sell their company and no one else can do it for you. Um, so what is your feeling on that? You know, are you kind of more in the background and it's still the founder who's kind of front facing? Oh, absolutely, Chris. Like, I, I can't replicate the passion a founder may have for their company. Um, I might be a little bit braver at making asks at first just because I don't have, you know, all the 
the the personal interest in it, that they may you know it's it's not my baby for, per se but once they get warmed up making those asks and getting rejected there's nobody better um and we basically are the back office of a fundraising team essentially so um you know if you have a fractional cfo or a fractional like finance team like you can consider us your fractional back office fundraising team yeah got it and i know you know so in the traditional public world especially when you're preparing for an ipo you work with an investment bank that essentially is going to all of the you know investors and their network and all the big institutions and basically generating all the interest for you and getting them to deploy dollars into your deal when you yeah, there really isn't such a thing in the startup market. There's there's next to no actual investment banks, um, either for the kind of community round world or for the traditional offline world. Um, yeah. And so I imagine you kind of work more as a consulting group. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So we we don't take success fees. We work on a straight retainer basis. Um, but I think it's funny. I actually spoke to a very uh, successful investment banker last week, and she was suggesting, you know, I've never seen this as essentially investment banking for startups. And I think it's true to a certain extent. However, at the earliest stages of a found, the founding of a company, it's so important that founders create strong relationships with their investors, mm -hmm. right? It's not just about the capital. It's also about the introductions those investors can make and whether they can participate in follow-on financing, um, whether they can, you know, uh, get out there when you're raising your next round and, and make the introductions you need, et cetera. So it's, I think this is a perfect way for us to give founders leverage on their time, right? Without, um, without sort of owning those relationships. So we ensure that by like, you know, being in the background of things, um, founders really end up building those close relationships they need to, to grow their companies to exit. Uh, the world gets pretty complex very fast. Once you've had even 20, 30, 40, 50 discussions, and I've pitched our company over a thousand times, it, it gets a little muddy and it's really hard to manage all of those relationships and connections you've made. And you're right. I mean, first off, the best thing that you could ever have is a repeat investor, right? It's just like a repeat customer. The best investor is a repeat investor. Um, yep. So that's one. And two, you know, it's all of the leads and all of the people that they bring into your world as well. I mean, I started this company with knowing nobody and now, you know, thousands of people are connected to this business so certainly the relationships and the networks that that opens up is really really powerful um and you hit on something which i thought was interesting is the investor relations piece of this yeah. what do you do you know one of the problems that i think we've seen in our industry is at times founders are not great necessarily not across the board there's some amazing founders who do a great job of keeping their their community around investors up to date other yeah. wings are not very good at it at all so what are your thoughts on on that process? What are some of your like best practices you think around that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, I think it depends, right? Like if you're if you're a company that's raised from thousands upon thousands of people, right? I have I have clients who literally have eight thousand investors, right? So access is is amazing, but also something to be considered. Um, so I think uh, when you have when you have an investor base, I think you have to look at them as important shareholders, yes, but also stakeholders, right? Yeah. That base is so important to build an entire engagement strategy around to the point that we've already mentioned, right? Like they can invest once, but then you can kind of upsell them in future rounds. Um, and with SPVs, you can have those retail investors participate in your more institutional rounds very easily. And yeah. so engaging them and saying to your you know, future investors in institutional rounds, look, you know, I have a thousand investors participating in SPV um, that is already committed to this this institutional round. I think that's really powerful. 
Um, so that's that's how I think like engagement once uh, community round investors have invested are can be advantageous in the future when you're putting together future rounds. Also, just general investor updates in gen- in general at a regular cadence, right? Whether it's monthly, which I think founders have a really hard time committing to, or quarterly, which is probably more realistic, uh, is really important because if you're giving your investors news, the good and the bad, you're building trust and you're investing in that relationship. And that has that pays dividends in terms of um, potential uh, networking opportunities to, to customers, um, it pays dividends um, when you are facing strategic issues and you can go to them, et cetera. So I can't uh, stress enough the importance of, of strong investor communications, um, but also they have to be well written and well done and organized. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole like sort of customer success process in itself. Yeah. Absolutely. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see founders make who are raising on platforms like WeFunder? Um, yeah, what are some of the low-hanging fruit big mistakes folks make? Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? Okay, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think number one, when you're raising a community round or a retail investment round, and you aren't, you know, the Mercury Banks of the world who are opening up a portion of your raise, you know, that a Series B, you know, yeah. that is, you know, led by institutional investors, right, for your community, and you're really just like a startup who is saying, okay, I'm having trouble potentially raising money tra- in the traditional path, and I and I want to look at community rounds as an alternative source of capital. Um, when founder like founders like that put their raise on the platform, and they press live, and they expect the money to come, they mm. they really have another thing coming, right? Because I think that the most important thing is to realize that platforms are software; they're not automatic guaranteed, like capital placement, you know, uh, agents, right? So um, what I would say is that you have to, have to have a really robust strategy for acquiring investors to come to your page. And so obviously, if you apply sort of the mechanics of any sort of like online e-commerce site, you have to drive traffic and you have to convert it. Um, and so you, you kind of look at all the ways to optimize for uh, cost-effective traffic and then how do you actually convert them? And whether that's over time, many touch points, um, that's really important. I would also say that um, in the community rounds we've worked on, a lot of founders have the sense that, oh, this round will be filled by $100, $250 checks. And I think it's a huge mistake. And the ones that you know raise three, four, five million, the campaigns we've worked on, they really invest in um, attracting Reg D accredited investors to the platform. So we're focused on investment volume, not necessarily the number of investors. And I think that ends up getting much better results because you're basically designing the campaign to uh, attract accredited, sophisticated investors. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, and I, I have my feelings on whether accredited or sophisticated. They're deeper pocketed, that's for sure. So that's um, sophisticated, I don't know. I It's a mix. But however... I will say that I have always felt it's really important to get those people who are willing to put 10, 25, 50, 100K plus checks um, on the platforms because one, that's how you start pushing forward the industry. And two, to your point, the whole momentum play, I mean, it's very hard unless you have some sort of catalyst event outside of, you know, whether a publisher or something pushes you, unless you have those things happen to you, getting thousands and thousands of people to come and invest in your company overnight to your point. Is a pipe dream. So if you get a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars from one person, ten to twenty from another person, now suddenly you have some momentum on your side. Maybe you have two fifty, three hundred k on the first day, 
and you're trying to get to a million. And that's that's a pretty good indicator to investors like, hey, these people are serious and you're getting people to put real dollars to work. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, FOMO is a thing. It's true across all the types of investors. And Chris, I'll just tell you, I learned about sophisticated investors because that's the the EU term for accredited, which. Oh, I like that. Which which uh, has its issues. I will agree with you. <laughs> I, I also had trouble with that, with uh, coming to, to terms with that word myself. Yeah. You know, all I'll say is I have met accredited investors who, you know, they didn't work for their money necessarily. And, oh. and they're pretty easy with parting from it yeah. and pretty easy with the questions that they ask. So that that's all I'm saying. And some of the hardest checks I've won over have been the $100 check. So yep. um, <laughs> it's a real mix for sure. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about if you are a founder and you don't have that network, how do you help them get started to, you know, to your point, pursue those 5, 10, 100K, 250K, million dollar checks and out of the gate to build momentum? What's what's the trick? What are you doing to help them get there? Yeah. So um, I I'm very lucky that my first community round ever was uh, up council which is a legal technology marketplace um, led by a YC-backed founder who's had a ton of success in her career. In raises like that, right, you have uh, very engaged customers. And so that's really exciting because you can literally turn in your, you know, your marketing email list into customers. Um, uh, if you don't necessarily have an existing customer base for a retail investment round or a community round, which is what we're focusing on today, um, then you can build it. And there's multiple ways to build it. And so when I when I started working in the community round space, uh, in I think my my first campaign that we worked on as a team closed in December 2021. So very new to this industry, right? Uh, we, um, I would say that we learned very quickly that you can you can invest in paid marketing, right? And you can invest in sponsored content, uh, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, et cetera. But it's really hard to guarantee a ROAS and it's also expensive, right? Like you have to look at the cost of capital and yeah. in the implied dilution, right? So at capital department, we always looked at it more from what is the most effective way to raise capital. And so we really focus on organic investor acquisition channels. Um, so really building out processes that we can apply throughout the campaign that can help get us access to uh, networks of investors. So some of that is um, on the on the cold outbound side, right? Oh. It's even like pitching the king's crowds of the world, right? Like, hey, I'm a founder. I'm raising, you know, would you be interested in doing a founder profile on us, right? And the founder profiles that you do are phenomenal. And I think they help drive a lot of traffic to to pages um, when, when they're done. And I know that you guys have a whole process for choosing people objectively, et cetera. But I'm sure, you know, getting, getting uh, you know, connected to a founder is important. Mm -hmm. That's one example is like all the publications or networks that represent uh, investors. Um, we also look at, um, you know, traditional channels like LinkedIn and email. LinkedIn and email are the most important channels. Um, so one of the things we'll do on LinkedIn is actually like messaging our first, you know, founders, first degree connections prospecting for new leads, very similar to sales at a SaaS startup, for instance. <laughs> cool. um, and then on the email side, we will, we really will prospect investors that we think fit our ideal, our ideal customer or investor profile, right? So if we know that we're raising, you know, for um, a robotics company, 
maybe we go and prospect for you know uh, potential investors who are VPs or above, right? Who have worked at robotics companies that might be really interested in this deal, um, and then we reach out to them. So that's one way. And then um, I think you know, just like there's so many tricks to that too, uh, yeah. between you know messaging your followers. Uh, and and getting introductions, which is really really important. Um, so that's thing that's that's definitely like our core core channels. And then of course, once someone invests, right? If we do look at them as a customer, if we do look at this as a sales process, there's always the upsell. Hello. And getting an investor to increase their investment is one of the most valuable tactics that we that we leverage. Fascinating. No, and yeah, I I totally agree with you and. It's kind of funny because I think people think that like investment banking is this like really sexy type of thing, raising money. And then you realize that it's just like a lot of time on LinkedIn and emailing people. And it's like funny even now for me to think about some of the people who like I always consider friends, you know, people who have invested multiple times that I talk to every other month and update them on everything going on with King's Crowd. And it's like started out as like, you know, a random person I met on AngelList or LinkedIn or wherever it may be. And it's like, but it has to start somewhere. And like, it truly does come down to just like running a process and going through all your contacts and figuring out where there's opportunity and then making them aware of what you're up to. And the old sales tactic, right? You have to hit someone seven times before they'll really take action. Like it's really no different with an investment. So a lot, a lot of effort that goes into this. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the fact that I think to a degree, just seeing that companies are working with you and putting in the effort speaks very much to like that dedication to success over like, Oh, I put it out there and it didn't work. I guess there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So what do your typical clients look like? I know they're across industries and all of that, but what are they typically engaging you? Why are they coming to you? I'd love to understand a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that our typical clients um, are uh, brilliant CEOs who are uh, very ambitious, talented, smart, accomplished, um, who may or may not have experience raising capital, right? Like I have worked with founders who have raised tens of millions of dollars and I have worked with founders who haven't raised a dollar before. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, they're all so committed and passionate about their vision. So unfortunately, capital department can't work with everyone, so we don't. Um, we we typically have a, a pretty lengthy waiting list, and because that's because we're growing our team as well. Um, and so we're we're actually quite selective in with with the people we work with because we want it to be successful all around, right? Like ultimately, um, we our goal is to underpromise and overdeliver. Uh, so I would say that's the sort of founder profile. We also love working with kind founders. <laughs> with a lot of integrity um, and that's absolutely critical to us and 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 the types of deals we're working on. Um, and let's see, why do they come to us? They come to us because we have expertise. They come to us because we know how to run an incredible process and process gives them leverage on their time. It allows them to get back to CEOing and growing their business so that they're not caught in spreadsheets um, and ultimately I think too, they get, they get support during the highs and the lows of the race. Right. So like, you know, they can ask like one of our deal leads, like, Hey, have you seen this before? What is best practice here? How should I approach this? Right. And we actually have answers. Um, so for a lot of founders, that expertise 
Um, and that sort of handholding is really nice because ultimately you're getting rejected all day, day in and day out. You know, there may be a few sleepless nights and knowing you have a team behind you to make you successful is, is really valuable. No, I, I think that's terrific. <laughs> Um, well, Rhea, thank you so much for your time today. You know, and if you're an investor and you're listening to this, you, you want to see your companies be successful, right? Um, yeah. And this is a way, you know, you, you're hoping that your founders are looking to work with organizations like this um, and are finding ways to drive as much investment as possible. Because frankly, one of the biggest risks with any startup is the funding risk, right? That you're not successful mm -hmm. enough in getting those dollars in. So you make sure you have enough runway to figure things out and get to where you need to be. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of value to having folks like yourself in our industry, helping to make these raises more successful. Um, love what you're doing. I think it's super interesting and a layer that's probably most misunderstood or unknown. Um, so glad that we get to bring a bit of a light to it today. Um, yep. So thank you so much, Maria. Really appreciate your time today. And for all those listening, thanks as always for, for tuning in. Take care now. Yeah.